Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Bethlehem Church Podcast, where our goal is to offer you compelling biblical content to equip you to live an empowered Christian life. Each week, you'll hear a message from our lead pastor, Matt Robinson, or another member of the Bethlehem team. We also host a conversation every week where we unpack different facets of Sunday's message. We're so excited about this message, and we hope it's a blessing to you. Let's jump in. Take your Bibles, turn to Ruth. Ruth chapter 1, verse number 1. Sorry for my coughing and hacking a little bit here and there. Mm. I'm going to apologize ahead of time. What a wonderful story. How many of you have read the book of Ruth? Anybody? Several. Amen. It is a huge blessing. And like I said earlier, I don't want to give the farm away, uh, pun intended, but um, I'm going to focus on the first chapter. And, and you're going to have to follow along for the next four weeks uh, and let it unpack because the, the end of the story is unreal. It really is. Like, it's what the Lord does through this woman's faithfulness is indescribable. And, and I'll, you know, I'm, I'm not good at, like, surprises or secrets. So if, if something, if, if you're close to me, you know that. If you're pregnant and you don't want people to know, don't tell me. I'm like, and so-and-so, like right from the stage, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not good at keeping secrets. I let cats out of the bag often. Uh, stuff just, like, falls out. My wife's constantly like, you should not have said that. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. You know, pray the Holy Spirit to help me contain myself. I just can't. I'm not good at it. I'm really not. And I, I'm aware. I'm self-aware that I cannot keep a secret. Um, except like counseling, don't feel like I can't keep your, your, your counseling set. Are you serious? I went and saw him for help. He's going to tell. No, I'm not going to tell. Uh, that's more of like a legal thing. Okay. Uh, but for the most part, like if it's something that other people are going to eventually find out, like I'm like, <laughs> don't tell me, don't tell me. So I'm going to fight against that really hard today and not give the whole story away because it's such an amazing story. Um, but the intent is that you'll follow along. And I would encourage you to read the book this week, and it probably takes 15, 20 minutes to read through the whole thing. Um, so you'll figure it out. But as, as you study it, as we walk through these, these few lessons here, I promise you will be helped uh, if you commit yourself to it. So let's read the whole chapter. I know it's a lot, but I want you to get a full, a full glimpse here of, of what's happening. So, well we'll, well, we'll stop along the way. We'll read a section, then we'll stop and talk for a little bit, and then we'll jump back in. Look at verse number one, Ruth chapter one, verse number one. During the time of the judges, this gives us the context of kind of where the book falls, right? There was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. So he left Bethlehem. Does anybody know what that is? Remember we just kind of talked about that a little bit? Where was Jesus born? Um, I'm not giving the story away. I'm not, I promise. I'm going to keep walking here before I give the story away. But you see here, this is where they're coming from. Uh, this, this family, a man, left Bethlehem in Judah, the line of the tribe. Anyway, okay. Uh, verse number two, the man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. The names of his sons were Malon and, and Chilion. And I, don't, I probably don't have these pronunciations correct, but that's how we're going to pronounce them today, okay? Malon and Chilion. They were uh, Epaphrites from Bethlehem in Judah. 
They entered the fields of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One's name was Oprah. (laughs) Just kidding, it's Orpah. And the second's name was Ruth. It's so close, though. Every time I saw Orpah, I was like, Oprah and Oprah. (laughs) That's where she came. She came from Moab, Oprah. That's right. Going after other gods, and nothing's changed. No, just kidding. (laughs) Oprah, I love you. You'll never never see this. Both, (laughs) and the second's name was Ruth. They lived in Moab about 10 years. Both Malon and Chilion also died, and the woman was left, the woman, rather, the woman was left without her two children and without her husband. Look at verse number six. She and her daughters-in-law set out to return from the territory of Moab, Because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to the people's need in providing them food. She left the place where she had been living, accompanied by her (coughs) daughters-in-law, and traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. Naomi said to them, each of you go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord grant each of you rest in the house of a new husband. She kissed them and wept loudly. They said to her, we insist on returning with you to your people. But Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters. My life is much too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Again, they wept loudly and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Let's stop right there. Elimelech and his wife Naomi decided to make a move to Moab because of a famine in the land of Bethlehem. They had two sons, Malon and Chilion. They settled in the land of Moab and began to farm and build a life there. Their sons found wives in the land, Orpah and Ruth, Oprah. Within 10 years, all that was left, 10 years that they were there in that land, all that was left was Naomi and her daughters-in-law. That's sad, isn't it? Elimelech and both his sons had passed away. Consider this from a cultural perspective. In this cultural construct, this is a picture of what losing everything looks like. The female, this kind of came to me this week, this is the female version of Job. The female version. Everybody talks about Job and all that he lost, but consider this culture, we we think about relationships and husbands really from a love and even more of a sexual perspective first. That their, their concern was more of posterity. If a woman did not have a husband, then she could not have a son. That's what they call biology, boys and girls. Anyway, <laughs> that's people have forgotten that, I guess. Too soon? I don't know. Anyway, uh, that's how it works. If you don't have a husband, you don't have a son. And in this culture, if you don't have a son, you don't have someone to work to continue to grow the field. 
which means you don't have food, which means you what? You die. So in this context, having a wife, someone taking a wife and giving her children was really all that she cared about. That's how she would continue. This isn't about being sexist. It's about the cultural context of that day and age. This wasn't, oh, well, I'm going to go on Indeed and look me up a job real quick. It didn't work that way. There was no app that she was going to be a single mom and work this thing out. And first of all, there were no grandchildren. The Lord, if this, look, to add insult to injury, being there 10 years, it's not just that she lost her husband, Naomi, losing Elimelech, she loses her two sons, and adding that salt in the wound, there are no children yet. What in the world is the Lord doing? Closing up these women's womb. They look to the Lord for those children and it never happened. And then considering the fact that they moved there for posterity in in the beginning. For uh, lands that would produce. In the time of Bethlehem Judah when they moved. The time of the judges. Scripture is implying here that there was a famine. There was a lack, there was a dearth in the land. And from what we know, not to give the whole story away, Elimelech had property. He had and owned property, but that property wasn't producing. So he said, let's go over to Moab. Now, what is the significance with Moab? Where's, where's that in the Bible? You know, like, what's, is there something there? Well, let me tell you where Moab comes from. What's that? Moabites, that's right. Moabite women. Ruth, Orpah, Oprah, whatever her name is. Moabite women. So, where did Moab come from? We're looking at the Transjordan area next to the Dead Sea, as far as geographically. And you look in your Bible, you know, your Bible maps, you can kind of see where Moab was and where it was established. Think about the story of Lot. The well-watered plains of Jordan. Right, And he goes to this, this place called Sodom and Gomorrah. Right? And he builds his family in this wicked city. And when, when the angel of the Lord came, because Lot was Abraham's nephew. Abraham was the father of the children of Israel. You follow me? And if this is new, look it up. Make it a Bible study. Abraham was the, the father of the children of Israel. And then from there, his nephew gets into all kinds of trouble. Knows that he shouldn't be in Sodom and Gomorrah. Their, their lifestyles were horrible. They were wicked. The Lord was going to judge and, and pour out his wrath on Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham learns about it. And he's like, look, my nephew's there. Don't kill him. If Some of you maybe know the story. So they are led out of the city by an angel. Lot's wife turns and looks back at the city, even though the city was, uh, you know, the angel commanded them not to look back on it. And she turns into a pillar of salt. Then they go into this cave, the city is destroyed, and consider how we see the same exact mindset that Ruth and Naomi have in this story. Lot's daughters have that same mindset. They just watched their entire civilization, their world as they know it, Sodom and Gomorrah, burn to the ground. They're with their dad, their mom is gone, and the only option for posterity would be having a what? A child. This is so messed up. Be careful what passages you let your kids read in the Bible, okay? (laughs) It is some mature-rated stuff. I mean, it's legit. 
This actually is in the Bible. So what do they do? They concoct a plan. It's even like weird saying it. They concoct a plan. They get their dad lot drunk and they sleep with him. And they conceive and they bear sons. One of those daughters would bear a son that would be the founding of Moab and the Moabites. They come from an incestuous relationship where two daughters get their own father drunk for their own posterity and their own care and concern just so that they would have something. And when we look at this, we have to consider the context. Consider the day and age that they were living in and how they looked at what their purpose was on this planet. So uh, consider that it was a, a place from brokenness, a place that had strange roots, if you will. And so we can draw a lot of inferences and applications from that, but I'm not gonna. That's not really the point of the message. The point is, is that they see a country, a place, rather not that far, that is a land that is bearing fruit, and so they move there with the idea of success, with the idea that, that they will uh, buy land and be able to, to farm and, and have posterity and have sons and daughters and uh, wealth, essentially, a life that they can pass down because they couldn't get that in Bethlehem at the time. And so from those generations passed down, we we see from that brokenness, that's where Ruth and Orpah come in. So the sons, uh, Malon and Chilion, find themselves two Moabite women, and they take them for wives. And then, of course, we've read the rest of the story. In 10 years, they end up all passing away, and it's Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah. And what we see here is what happens... Naomi tells them, look, and, and it seems like, if, if you're reading the story like I'm reading it, it seems like they had a really good relationship. She wasn't mad. She wasn't upset that her sons married Moabite women. I mean, do you get that? I didn't get it. She loved them. They wept together. And she said to them, like, look, it makes sense for you to go. It makes sense for you to go. You're still young. <clears throat> go find a husband so that you can have a son so that you can live, so that you can survive. This is a matter of survival. And the one is like, love you, God bless you, see ya. <laughs> She's out. Orpah, of course. Oprah was gone. She didn't want nothing to do with her. She's gone. But Ruth took a different posture. Ruth took a different posture. The first song that we sang in worship, Ruth said this, don't plead with me to abandon you, verse 18, I'm sorry, verse 16, and to not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And, and there will be buried. There I will be buried. My, may the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you from me. Look, let me ask you this. What happens? What happens when your decisions and circumstances take you from being pleasant to bitter. You know what Naomi's name means? Naomi's name, and there's even a part of, of God's name in it, but Naomi's name means pleasantness. It means, if you look it up, it means kindness, sweetness. That, that, is, that is how she left. She left her hometown, Bethlehem, Judah, in a 
pleasant, sweet, kind state. Okay, Elimelech, this is great. We're going to new territories. We're going to find new land. Yes, we're owners here. Yes, we have, but our land isn't producing. We've got to do something. It wasn't out of maliciousness. It wasn't out of, uh, I'm going to go to another land because I don't believe in my God anymore. Is that clear from the story? Absolutely not. When everything fell apart, she went where? Back home. And we're going to see that in just a second. But the point is, is when she left, when her husband made that decision, when her boys were looking for wives, Naomi meant pleasantness and sweetness. But what happens when 10 years of life kicks you in the ever-loving teeth and you become bitter? Here's what I want, want to show you. Look at verse 18. You ready? When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. Verse 19, the two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival. The local women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me, verse 20, Naomi. Call me Mara, she answered. For the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has opposed me? The Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law Ruth the Moabitess and they arrived in Bethlehem, don't miss this, at the beginning of the barley harvest. We'll come back to that. But what happened? She literally said, I, I, I'm going to change my name. Yeah, I know where I come from. Yeah, I know that my name means pleasantness. It means that Yahweh is pleasant. It means that I live in the land of fullness and kindness. And I'm coming and speaking from a place that is full. But I'm coming back what? Empty. You're going to call me Mara. Remember the bitter waters of Mara? When the children of Israel, children of Israel uh, they murmured and complained because the water was bitter. That's the name. She says, I, I mean, is this not a picture of Job from a female version? The Lord's taken everything from me. I don't have a reason to be pleasant and kind and happy. Have you ever met anybody like that? Oh, wow. <laughs> Y'all know Samara, don't you? <laughs> oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> Look no further than my family contacts. <laughs> that was a strong move through the auditorium. What about you online? Did we get some hearts on that? What do you see, Russell? <laughs> People are like, angry face, heart. Oh, yeah, I know them. Put it in the comments, who they are. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Tag them in this post. Oh, goodness gracious. I love technology. I really hate it. What happens when life circumstances take you from being pleasant to being bitter? Look, we got to get real. If we can't be real in the church house, then we're doomed for failure. We're doomed. Here's, here's a few things. Here's what, here's what happens. Here's what you do. You trust the Lord and take the next step. Where does the story lead? Well, it leads back to Bethlehem. It leads back to the place where you were blessed, where you were kind. But they were empty, yes, and that's why the Lord moved them. And it was okay that the Lord moved them to a strange land. Inevitably, the Lord used strange women in the lives of their family to bless them. Think about that. 
It's mind-blowing. And this is where I get, like, I look back at my legalistic, I'm legalistic independent Baptist, I'll just say it, legalistic independent Baptist days with disdain. Yes, with love for some, but mostly disdain because legalism says that the Lord only works in this construct. <laughs> this lady left the land of the living and went to an incestuous land founded by some creep and, and said that the Lord, the Lord took them there and then came back to the land of the Lord Bitter, and the Lord continued to use what she got in that land, Ruth, for her own posterity. Don't tell me that the Lord can't work through our brokenness. Don't tell me the Lord can't work through a divorce. Don't tell me the Lord can't work through your sin. He has to. If the Lord can't work through those things in 2022, Katie, bar the door, shut it down, circle the wagons. There's nothing left to do. We're broken people. I see brokenness at every turn in this story, and I see the Lord using it. Here's what I think is fun. Just similar to the book of Esther, the Lord's name is not directly, the Lord is not present working in this book. He's in the background. I will make your God my God, but it doesn't say God showed up and said, Ruth, I'm I'm taking you back home. No. What is the narrator trying to tell us? The narrator of this book is writing it in such a way to show you that God is working all the time. God is their God, and God never ceases to be God. He is God, he is good, and he will continue to be good as long as he's God, and he never ceases to be God. He's sovereign. Follow that thinking that even though his name is not mentioned, him being there, he's there. He's there. Even when I don't see it. You're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Do you see it? Do you see it? So here's here's the thing. We boil this thing down here. What happens when pleasantness turns to bitterness? You take the next step. That's what happens. When you aren't able to smile, know that the Lord is smiling down on you. A seemingly intentional decision by that narrator shows that the Lord is there working. Not even directly present. Naomi tells her daughters-in-law to return to their homeland and find another husband so that they can give them children and ultimately save their lives. But Ruth decides to stay. Ruth decides to say, if you go, I'm going. If you're staying, I'm staying. If you move, I'm going to move. I'm going to follow you. No matter what, I'm here. And God judge me if anything but death separates. Here's the title of the message. She was decisively loyal. Ruth was decisively loyal as a Moabitess woman. Here's what I see. I'm just going to try to help you a little bit. Y'all okay with that? Okay, we're just being helped a little bit. I'm going to tell you what the Lord gave me in this passage and how he helped me this week. Tragedy and trauma will seek to redefine who you are. That's a fact. Naomi said when she came back to town, you're not going to call me Naomi anymore. You're going to call me Mara. Why? Tragedy and trauma. It's time the church stops ignoring tragedy and trauma. Well, the Lord will fix it. You just need to pray, sister. 
I'm not, I, I'm not diminishing the fact that that's true in one sense, but it's not true in the sense that we say it sometimes. We think that because we're able to work through our stuff that everybody's able to work through their stuff. And in the same ways that we work through it, that's not the case. And none of us are in the same situation. Tragedy and trauma will work hard to rename you. And so we would do better at helping people take their next step rather than telling people that their next step is the step we took. Does that make sense? Tragedy and trauma, no matter what you think, even, even you may be the hardest dude on the planet watching online. You may think that you can handle anything and everything, but that's a facade. Tragedy and trauma will redefine. At some point, it was pleasant and it becomes bitter. That's life, ladies and gentlemen. That is life. Where we go, oh. You know what I'm talking about? It's the feeling in the pit of our stomach where it used to be strong. There used to be strength that we pulled from, but whenever that name is mentioned, that person, that relationship, that job, that insult, it pulls from here and you're now queasy where there was strength. You understand what I'm saying? Tragedy and trauma will seek to change your name. When she came back to town, she said, don't call me that pleasant name anymore. I'm a bitter woman. It didn't keep her from coming back. She took the next step. Everything does change. But look, we ain't in those chapters yet. We're in chapter one today. And chapter one says, listen, it is going to seek to redefine you in 2022. There's going to be things that happen in 2021 that are going to seek to speak over you and declare over you that you're a failure, that you're not a success, that you're not pleasant, that the Lord is not good to you. And that is a lie from the devil. Tragedy and trauma will constantly seek to change your name. But he's given you a new name. We have to come face to face with this idea that the things in our life, they've changed us. And sometimes not for the better. Don't ignore it. Because the Lord doesn't ignore it. How do I know that? The Bible says that he's nigh unto the brokenhearted. The Bible says to weep with those who what? Who weep. We have to understand this and feel it in our life. Here, here's what Proverbs says about it, the wisest man in all the world, Solomon. He said this, Proverbs 18, 14, and some of these verses are really good. Like Some of y'all need to write these verses down. They're in your program. And claim them when you need them. Proverbs 18, 14 says, A person's spirit can endure sickness, but who can survive a broken spirit? That's the problem. When kindness turns to bitterness, it's not because of a broken arm. It's because of a broken spirit. What's going on in my marriage? What's going on in my children's life? What's going on is the devil is wrecking and ruining their spirits. You think we care so much about the physical. I don't want to get sick. Oh, my goodness. <gasps> and I'm for it, right? Cody, man, I'm probably, probably coughing because of Cody. I was like, put your mask on, yo. <laughs> He was sick before I was sick this week. I don't have a fever, by the way. But we have, like, stuff to protect us. You know the Lord gave you armor to protect your spirit? But we're walking around spiritually naked because we don't use it. 
We never quote scripture into our lives. When the devil challenges us, you think he's after you physically? Well, of course, that happens. But he's really after you wounding your spirit. If he can get you thinking, I've been nothing but sick. I've been nothing but coughing. and I mean, that's where we've been for a while. That leads to, God, have you abandoned me? God, I need to be healthy. Do you see how that works? Solomon says this, anybody can endure sickness, but nobody can endure broken spirit. Remember, tragedy and trauma seek to redefine you, and her word, Mara, was, an, was a testament to her internal position towards God, not an external position. She came back home. You understand what I'm saying? Where are you in your heart in 2022? Are you far from the Lord, or are you right where he wants you? A wounded spirit who can bear. Here's another thing. The Lord is working in, 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 in the very thing that is working to redefine you. Don't miss this. The Lord is working in the very thing that is working to redefine you. He is faithful in every season. No, but see, here's what we do. We separate our God from our problems. We, ch we choose to have a God that is apart from the bad things that are happening in our life. If I prayed more, if I... Look, I'm not diminishing that, but what I'm trying to get you to see is the gospel lens includes suffering. It doesn't divorce it from the relationship. If we have a place in our systematic theology where we understand that bad things happen in the center of God's will and that he's working in that, he is working in our midst, we'll look at problems differently. We'll look at suffering differently. The gospel is a picture of this. Jesus, by his stripes, we are what? It's a picture of it. So here's what I'm saying. Trauma and tragedy will seek to redefine. But God is working in that trauma and in that tragedy. Listen to this scripture verse. This is so good. I love this. I'll, I'll read the, the one in our text, Ruth 1.22, and then I'm going to read the one from De Deuteronomy that you need to hear. Look at it. It says, So Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law, Ruth the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. The whole point about this thing was they were having trouble getting a return on their land. You understand what I'm saying? They left to seek lands that would return on their labor, that they could sow into and reap a harvest. And the Bible says that bringing them back to the land they came in the time that the land that they were coming to was producing a harvest. Listen to that Holy Spirit blow in here. No. This gets me going. In the middle of their tragedy. Think about this. Oh my goodness, great. This just all oh, gets me all kind of excited. I need a man. I need, I need my sons. They need sons for posterity. That's the only way this thing is going to work. And they come into the land during a season where they're able to get from God what they thought they could only get from husbands and sons. The timing was everything. The Lord was working in the famine. He was working in the tragedy. He was working in the trauma. And when they rode back into town, they rode back into harvest season. 
even when you're bitter, even when you're changing your name, the Lord is still faithful. Listen to this scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. Know that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his gracious covenant loyalty for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commands. And your children's children and their children's children cue up the Carrie Job song. Hashtag the blessing. And your children and her children and her children. That's like great, 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 great. That's the scripture, right? Like the Lord is faithful for a thousand generations. The point is, is that, that once it reaches that thousand, he's done, man. Cut it off. The point is, is that he's not done. He's never done. He's always working. And so whatever you're looking for, whatever the redefining of your soul has meant for you, he's not been redefined. He's still Yahweh. He's still Yahweh Yira. The Lord provides. And he is enough. And he is enough. I have two helpful points this morning and then I'm going to send you home. This is it. Ruth will be the well. Without giving away the story, please come back next week. Ruth will be the well that living water flows from. A Moabitist woman is the well, not her dead sons. The Lord wants to and promise to supply your needs, but he doesn't do it in the way you want. He does it in the way that fits his plan and his glory. Ruth, Naomi, was, was trying to send away the very answer to her prayer. Huh. Thank the Lord for unanswered prayers. Cue up Garth Brooks. He appears from nowhere. Anyway, <laughs> Love that song. Love that. How many love Garth Brooks, man? Good stuff. How about he just give up and put his stuff on Spotify? You know what I'm saying? I love that guy, man. Anyway, I know I'm a hot mess. <laughs> anyway, I wish I had a voice right now. I'd pull up my guitar and sing some Garth for you. Listen. No, don't do it. How many hate country? Only one? <laughs> How many love country? All right, there's a few. That's right. Full metal. Yeah, right there. Done. You and Joe, you can go to the first room while I play it. <laughs> Cue up Metallica in that room for them. Anyway. Here it is. Ruth, Ruth will be the well that the eternal living water of God flows from. Here, here's what it is. Number one. Staying within the context of this chapter, even when your disposition towards the Lord's plan in your life changes, the disposition, she, she was very pleasant when it got started, and it ended bitterly. Even when your disposition towards what the Lord's plan is doing in your life changes, watch this, don't change your position in God. Don't change your position in God. I've seen a few through the years do this. You feel like the victim, and so you leave. How do you feel like the victim? You let trauma and tragedy change your trajectory. Instead of the God that's working in that. If anybody, if anybody in all of history, of the world, that's a pretty big statement should get what tragedy and trauma is doing, it should be Christians. Fox's Book of Martyrs, look no further than the disciples. Most of them were killed for their faith. 
but they have received a greater clown of, crown of clown. <laughs> They're in clown suits right now in heaven. <laughs> they have received a greater crown of glory. <laughs> the point is, is we have a context for suffering, but yet we let it take us out of the position of being in God. When we're a part of the church and the family of God, we gather together. That is a unit that we are in. And how many people have we not seen in months? Months. We talk about it in the elder room. If you're listening online, you need to be in God, in Christ, in the gathering of his believers. In your spirit, you need to understand that he's working something for your good. Outside of the context of God Almighty, there is no context for pain. There's only, you're a piece of stardust. You're a piece of dirt. Right? According to scientists, we're just a cup of dirt. That literally means nothing. Scripture says otherwise. You are made in God's image. After his likeness, we have a spirit that expresses morality and feelings from the spirit of God, knowing that we are made in God's image, knowing that he has a plan in God, in Christ, when you believe and he delivers you. How many saw the new Matrix movie? Anybody? It's different. It was different. How many liked it? I did too. Me and you. James, we'd get along. Look, when you see really what the devil is doing in the world, trying to pull the wool over everybody's eyes, and you understand what God is doing, he frees you, he liberates that. And I'm, I'm just astonished at the amount of Christians that enter into tragedy and trauma, and they bail. And I'm like, God's working. I just, I can't believe it. I can't. And look, the, I think the worst fear is the one she dealt with, right? Can you imagine losing a child? Ugh. Just the worst of the worst. Anybody can endure, right, a, a sickness, but Solomon said a wounded spirit. I think of a wounded spirit when I think about losing a child. It's like the intrusive thought, the worst fear of all. And, and how do we begin to work through that? But the Lord has made provision for the loss of a child. Do you understand that? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The very answer in the middle of your tragedy is the cross. He is the answer to every one of your worst nightmares. So why do we run? Why do we not participate? We should all look in 22 to see how we can be more faithful to the Lord. When we get up in the morning, do we turn our hearts to him? Do we pray in him? Do we read his word? Does it become alive? Listen, even when your disposition towards the Lord's plan in your life changes, I'm not saying you always have to think it's, it's good and right. We, we struggle. We have sin, a sin nature. We have feelings. But don't change your position in God. Hebrews 12, 14 through 17, write this one down. Pursue peace with everyone in holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root, this is so key for the passage we're in, and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. Make sure that there isn't any immoral or irreverent person, watch this, like Esau, who sold his birthright in an exchange for a single meal. For you know that later, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. 
even though he sought it with tears because he didn't find any opportunity for repentance. Here's what I'm telling you. You turn your back on the Lord and that will only come with regret one day. The Lord is coming back. The Lord is redeeming this entire world to himself. Don't make the decision to turn your back on who he is. If you're watching today, if you're here in person, online or in person, and you have never put your faith and trust in who Jesus is, put your faith and trust in him today. And don't ever take it back out. Believing in who God is, trusting in what he's done, (laughs) greatest decision you'll ever make. March 31st, 1999 is when I made that decision to put my faith and trust in God. Best decision I've ever made. Listen, church, this scripture says that Esau, he sold his birthright because he was hungry. (sighs) Life is but a vapor. It appeareth for a little time and yet vanisheth away. You compare Esau's hunger in that moment where he sold his birthright to Jacob and lost out on his entire earthly blessing for a meal is the same equivalent to us not putting our faith and trust in Jesus for this life, for the next. And there is a hell. We have to get to the place where we put our faith and trust in Jesus and we leave it there, no matter what happens. Even though you're having a hard time with your disposition towards what God is doing, don't change your position, don't run. Scripture tells us all the time, endure to the end. Paul even said it, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Don't run from the Lord. He has a plan and he's working it. He's seeing things from a much larger purview than we are. Here's the second and last. Number two, even when you think you need to do it yourself, you're still wrong. Even when you think you need to do it yourself, you're still wrong. Naomi said, I'm going back alone. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Where you move, I'll move. I'll follow you. Ruth said, you're not going alone. Do you understand that? None of us are made to do this thing alone. If you feel like you can't take that next step, you're probably isolated. You probably don't have someone that you've called and talked to in the body of Christ. You're probably trying to do it on your own. Naomi didn't want help. She wanted to say, just call me Mara. I'm bitter. I don't want it. And she stayed and she was present. Some of you are someone's Ruth. Some of you know that the Holy Spirit just put that person on your mind and in your heart, and you need to call them. You need to say, even though you don't want my help, I'm giving it. They wake up, they open the door, and there you are. Howdy, neighbor, with the forest wave and all. You're there. What do we need to learn as this story begins to unfold? Well, we need to learn that when you think you need to do it on your own, you're wrong. It would not have worked. And I'm going to tell you, I want to give it away so bad, but I'm not. It literally didn't work without Ruth. It literally didn't work. We need this now more than ever. Now more than ever. We need Wednesday night for us to be in here praying and worshiping and singing and and fellowshipping together. We need it now more than ever. What does this story tell us? Well, the Lord is sovereignly working. Trauma and tragedy will seek to redefine who you are Just take the next step and don't take it alone. 
Thanks for tuning in for this message on the Bethlehem Church Podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. If you want to know more about us, feel free to check out our website at BethlehemChurch.cc. And also in every message that we publish, you'll find our sermon notes in the description. And we hope that you'll study these topics further. We'll see you next time.